I've always, uh, you know, had to face criticism right from the time that I started my company because there was a lot of skepticism about women entrepreneurs, about the fact that I was a young startup trying to set up a very strange business in a sector that nobody understood. So welcome to Outliers. Uh, this is a podcast with Outliers, like I keep saying. And, uh, you know, I'm very excited to sit uh, with uh, an outlier. Uh, I must say, I consider uh, this person an outlier. You know, I think the most visible outlier I've ever met. Uh, and you will discover why uh, we consider uh, her an outlier. Uh, I'm sitting down with uh, Kiran Mazundar Shah. Uh, founder of Biocon and uh, someone uh, very, very visible on social platforms, in public forums. In fact, uh, I think when I started my career uh, in 2000 and uh, I was in Bangalore and I, I uh, used to hear and read a lot uh, that Kiran would talk about on different topics. It took few years for me to realize that she was the person behind Biocon. You know, I was a rookie reporter. <laughs> it was it was that <laughs> it was that that's how I first discovered Kiran. So, Kiran, uh, welcome to this podcast. Thank you. One of the things I have always noticed uh, in the way you share your opinions on Twitter, of course, and elsewhere. Uh, there's a lot of critique that happens at times when you share your opinion, right? So, how do you manage criticism? How do you manage uh, critique overall in everything that you do? Uh, what are some of the lessons in, in your experience and from your career as an entrepreneur? So, let me put it this way. You know, I've always, uh, you know, had to face criticism right from the time that I started my company because there was a lot of skepticism about women entrepreneurs, about the fact that I was a young startup trying to set up a very strange business in a sector that nobody understood. Um, I was considered high risk by anyone who wanted to even consider financing me or fund me. So I have actually, uh, you know, borne the brunt of a lot of skepticism and criticism. And throughout my uh, entrepreneurial journey, I have borne a lot of criticism. You know, even in recent times, um, I had a very fierce criticism about my business model. A lot of uh, retail shareholders felt that I was pursuing a wrong business strategy. Uh, so much so that I had very fierce criticism saying that, you know, maybe you should hand over the reins to another person in your company to, to manage business strategy. Of course, you know, all that has been vindicated when we got our first biosimilar approval by USFDA as the first Indian company. And now, of course, all my skeptics have become my greatest uh, supporters. So I know that if you're true to what you're saying, if you are true to what you believe in, you know, expect criticism because people don't always agree with what you believe in. But at the end of the day, you must uh, focus on your beliefs and I think you will be vindicated in some way. 
so for me that's been the way i've sort of uh, you know coped with criticism throughout my life's journey and therefore i'm not um, afraid to basically express my views because i believe that i have very carefully considered what i want to say about any subject and yes i ac- i accept that everybody won't agree with me i accept that uh, my views will be very different but i do sort of give considered opinions based on what i believe in and um, at any point in time if i think that i'm wrong in what i believe in i also don't mind apologizing and retracting what i've said so i think if you are honest about your intentions if you're honest about your beliefs then you will be able to take criticism mm. well 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 said <clears throat> but some uh, you know some critique can can really get uh, nasty right uh it can dent your confidence if you are starting up or even if you are a seasoned entrepreneur sometimes it can get personal how do you manage such instances i mean <clears throat> so i gave you an example i mean very recently even less than a year ago um people told me that i was wasting shareholders monies uh, investing in a very very expensive and risky program i was told why can't i be like the rest of the pharma companies and take you know sort of uh, better uh, you know calculated risks lower risks uh, why are you taking such big risks why are you investing so much money um, and you know you are you are you are really uh, you know uh, not doing a great job um, i and some of them were very very fierce critics okay even being very personal about my gender okay it was that bad and you can imagine how angry i was okay and um, i would try to counter it on social media this is i'm talking about social media but i have also had this in person you know when investor meetings have told me that i am being too much of a risk taker they would like me to you know slightly subdue my risk taking in terms of the business but i think you know even on social media i kept sort of fighting back saying look I am an entrepreneur who bets big. Okay? I am an entrepreneur who wants to take risk and I personally believe I'm taking a judgmental risk which I am confident of 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 taking and overcoming. And I've also tried to sort of reason with people saying, "Look, failure is inherent to our business." And I said, for those of you who don't want to take these kind of risks which you are perceiving, please don't invest in our company. I've gone so far as to say that on social media. I said, those of you who don't believe in my business strategy, those of you who don't believe in taking the kind of risk along with me, I suggest it's you know this this company's uh, you know investment opportunity is not for you. I want people who believe in. making a difference i want people who want to risk big and dream big with me because i know we can make a big impact so i think you know as i said you know in recent times of course i've been vindicated i've been called the iron lady of the pharmaceutical industry i've been you know now suddenly all my sort of uh, critics have suddenly started saying that you know i have uh taken big i have i've vindicated everyone who did not believe in me and i can tell you many of those people who said that were the ones who were my fiercest critics yeah. so you can 
what is the source of this conviction in, in everything that you do? Because <clears throat> it looks like that's what drives you. So, you know, when I got into this business, as you know, as an entrepreneur, I always believed that you must differentiate yourself as an entrepreneur. You must do something which is out of the ordinary. Don't just, you know, be a clone of the others. If you want to stand out, you have to take a risk and a differentiated risk that others are not taking. Okay. And to me, that is what an entrepreneurial journey should be all about. So if you want to really make big impact, then you'll have to take a judgmental risk which you think you can achieve, but which nobody else is taking. And to me, that judgmental risk for me was to start pursuing biologics as a business strategy, biosimilars as a business strategy. And whilst all Indian companies were only willing to invest in developing biosimilars for India, and at best for a few India-like markets, I took a big bet. I said, no, if we want to make big impact, we have to be a global player. And therefore, we invested big time in uh, developing biosimilars for global markets, especially for the US and Europe, which I felt were going to be the biggest beneficiaries of biosimilars, okay, because of providing affordable access to these very, very unaffordable drugs. Okay, even in those markets. And therefore, we started investing big time. Uh, it takes deep pockets. It takes big, uh, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of uh, courage to do that. But I think I believed in my scientists. Okay, I believed a lot in our scientific capabilities and the fact that I wanted to prove that being a company based in India, we could make global impact in this particular very, very difficult uh, sector. And I can tell you, of course, the critics were not just on social media. I had a lot of multinational companies uh, poo-pooing Indian companies saying, you know, Indian companies will never be able to deliver quality drugs in, in, in terms of biopharmaceuticals because it's so complex, it's so difficult. And uh, so I had to even bear those kind of criticisms. And today I think we have built an image of credibility, which I think is very important for India. So this is this approval that we got recently from US FDA for our biosimilar trastuzumab was not just for Biocon, it was for India. Because for the first time, we could actually hold our heads up high and say that Indian scientists are capable of you know, delivering world-class complex drugs to global markets. That's what I wanted to basically prove. And I think that's what I believed in. I think I really believed that our scientists were second to none. And I really give a lot of that credit, not to myself, but to my scientists. The only credit I give myself is that I believed in them. Uh, <clears throat> big risks also mean big failures, colossal failures. Absolutely. So have you had those uh, and how have you coped with them? I mean, what did you do with them? So obviously, as I mentioned earlier on, you're absolutely right. Big risks do have big uh, inherent failures also associated with them. And I think, um, you know, whilst I built my this business over the decades, we've had big failures as well. But I think you learn to kind of look at those failures. Some of them are 
pretty, uh, you know, final failures. You can't really sort of do much with that. And I've had a couple of those kind of failures as well. <clears throat> but some of them are failures which you learn from and you overcome them and you move on. And uh, I think that's what my philosophy in life is, that there are failures which you must come to terms with and there are failures that you must learn and move on with. And I very often have found in my case, a number of my failures have been stepping stones to success. So whilst I've failed in the earlier phases of that, that program, um, by overcoming those failures, I've actually succeeded. Um, let's take, for example, uh, during my enzyme days, I, we certainly had a number of failures, but those failures were overcome. And then we finally got into very successful enzyme technologies, which I was able to basically, uh, you know, divest at huge valuation. Similarly, even in our biologics programs, I think, uh, uh, for instance, my oral insulin program, which has been a very long program, I've had a number of hiccups along the way. I'm now hoping that the next phase will not be a, a failure. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's the final shot I'm going to give. But, you know, these are the kind of things that I have done over time. Uh, there have been some programs in, in our R&D pipeline which I've had to basically put an end to. I've also had some uh, failures in terms of making judgment calls which were not correct. For instance, we acquired an, a German company thinking that that would be a very good inroad into the European market, that it would help us to leapfrog into some of our marketing aspirations. But then very soon I found that I'd made the wrong judgment call because that was not ideally suited for what we were trying to do. And before it, I got into a, 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 a sort of a deeper sort of investment into that company, I decided to divest it back to the promoters. So I have made such calls. It's not that it's been a smooth success story all along. In fact, far from that. I've had many, many failures along the way. So Kiran, as a leader or as a person, how do you know something is, is, is failing or when you decide, okay, let's move on? Because if, if you are an owner of an idea, sometimes you can get too you know, closely associated or passionate about it. So how, how can you suddenly move on? I mean, I don't, it's an open question, but I'm trying to understand. No, it's a very good question. I think um, I often say to people, look, Failure is something that you must not personally attribute to a personal failure. Okay, if you can do that, then you can be very unemotional about accepting a failure and moving on. If you take too much of ownership of that program, or the, then you're likely to keep being in denial. Okay, and therefore I say that how do you come to that unemotional point? Because I think that unemotional point comes when you try a few times and it doesn't succeed. Okay? And then finally you basically analyze that failure, saying, why am I failing? I think that analysis is very important. And that you must do very unemotionally. If you, can, if you can do that unemotionally, 
you will move on and you will accept that failure. Like I did in the case of that German company that I talked about. That was a, you know, a personal judgment call that I made. I said, no, it's got to work, it's got to work. We tried to make it work for a year or two. But then there came a point when I said, look, let's understand why is this not working? And at that point, we made a very unemotional call. We said, no, this is why it's not working. It doesn't fit in with what we are trying to do in the first place. And that's when we were able to then divest it, you know, back to the promoters. Secondly, um, even when it came to some of our uh, R&D programs, yes, you know, scientists get very attached to that idea. Um, you know, people are pushing that idea a lot. I get very attached to that idea. And then you move along the path, when it, you know, it, when it starts costing you a lot, I think that becomes then an important trigger for you to look at it unemotionally. How much more am I willing to invest to overcome this failure? Okay? And how much do I believe that this failure can be overcome? So that's the point in time when you basically look at that, analyze that situation and say, okay, I'm willing to give it a final shot at this kind of investment level. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to unplug. That's the kind of uh, uh, decisions I take. That yes, I'm willing to give it a, 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 a good shot. I'm willing to invest in something over and over again. But then there does come a point in time when I feel, okay, we've invested so much so far. How much more am I willing to invest till I pull the plug? Or if, I, if, if, if that investment shows me that I don't need to pull the plug, I will move on. So you need to do that analysis. It's amazing, Kiran, you make this point because some of the most uh, <clears throat> successful people I have met and had conversations with, I mean, passionate entrepreneurs, they make this point about being detached and dispassionate at the same time when it comes to analyzing. So it's, it's fascinating how you are passionate about the overall mission, but when it comes to taking these calls, you become detached, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I become detached in a very clinical way, you know, in the sense that, um, like I said to you, yes. oral insulin, I'm very passionate about that program because I've seen so many positive uh, aspects of that project. You know, so much data I've seen, which is so compelling. But then it, there comes a point where you say, okay, it's, you know, we've seen very compelling data and we've seen some data where you need to really get some more proof of concept. How much more am I willing to invest where I actually say, okay, this is the point where I either pull the plug or invest more. That's the point I'm at. That's the tipping point. <clears throat> Just to shift gears, you're also someone who, from outside at least, you know, uh, seems to maintain so many personas, right? Uh, you seem to have so many passions in life and related to work as well. Uh, sometimes you come across as an ambassador for this city called Bangalore. Uh, another instance, you are this uh, a business icon who's talking about India as a dest destination. Uh, and then uh, sometimes as a critique of a certain policy. Uh, of course, your interest in social uh, and uh, you know other areas are very visible. How do you follow so many passions 
at the same time and my follow up questions is going to be about multitasking but let's first understand you as a person and understand how and why you maintain these different passions and how do you pull it off so i think i am a person who is who has varied interests but i also know how to prioritize my time um you know i do believe that there are certain you know when you're in a position of influence and when you do have interests and when you have and i think every one of these interests is a vested interest because it is ultimately it's you know compelling self interest in many ways i want this country to be a better country for all i want my city to be a good city for people who live in the city i want india to portray a certain image and of course i do realize that there are a lot of inequities uh in society uh in the country that we live in in the world we live in um and i feel that as a voice of influence um i need to do something you know so that i can actually speak up uh and i feel that uh if i can make a difference if i can bring about change well that would be something that i could possibly do for the benefit of others um i do prioritize my time i mean it although i i'm very active on social media let me confess right now that the only reason i'm so active on social media is because of bangalore traffic um you know you spend so much time in the car that i can afford to spend half an hour tweeting about some subject and then you'll suddenly find me going silent because now you know i I've, i've gone across that traffic jam and now i've got other things to do so you know i i spend a lot of that kind of time trying to be active on social media but then the moment i'm at work i'm off social media so that's my confession sure. um having said that uh, there are issues that i like to sort of uh, be vocal about and um, you know and therefore you tend to see me sort of talk about certain subjects um you know some of them can be very controversial in in the eyes of the public like for instance uh, i think the padmavati issue has been a very polarizing issue and uh, you know i have spoken up uh, saying that you know this is not the right thing and not the right way for the country to get polarized yeah. on um you know i've also been critical about uh, the importance of gst but the fact that i found it very complex and i i realized that of course the government is tweaking it but you know um i have criticized it in the past and i'm glad that the government is tweaking it but i'm just saying that generally speaking i speak up on either policy matters or i speak up on issues which i feel are unnecessarily polarizing our uh, society or our country just final uh, one or two questions kiran the the other related question to this is uh, in 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 a society uh, where everything is so polarized from opinions to everything how do you maintain balance because it looks like the age of balance sucks completely right i mean the moment someone tries to be objective or balanced and you tell me about it because as a media startup which believes in balance so so how do you deal with how do you live in this polarized environment 
You know, it's very difficult to answer that question because I think people don't rely on data or evidence, which is what I like to rely on. You know, I, like, I think that the only balance you can strike is if you can reason with data, if you can reason with evidence, you can reason with, you know, clear, uh, not anecdotal, but, but substantiated data. Uh, that's not happening today. You know, it's opinionated discussions that we have. It's not evidence-based data, I mean, uh, discussions, right? It's very difficult to do that. Uh, I have to basically try to, you know, remain balanced and not become too angry about dissenting opinions because I realize that social media has suddenly given a voice to everyone. And everyone has an opinion. Everyone has a view of the world. And I think you have to respect everyone's view of the world. But at the same time, I only respect those views which I feel are, are evidence-based views. It's not that they necessarily have to agree with my viewpoint. But I would like to have a discussion, especially you've seen me debate on biotechnology itself, where you know people have dissenting views on biotechnology. And it is natural because you know the fear of the unknown. You don't understand science. So you, you, you debate in a different way. I actually get very concerned about scientific debates where they don't base their debates on science. And to me, that is dangerous. When you don't base your debates on science, but it's based on opinions or, 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 or hearsay, it's very dangerous. And I think that's the kind of society becomes, you know, become, it becomes very difficult to have a balanced debate. And I quickly have to withdraw from such debates where people have absolutely no scientific basis, but they keep on debating on, oh, do you know this happened? Do you know that happened? And I'm saying, give me the data, give me the evidence, then I can debate with you. But if you're just going to give me some anecdotal, fictitious kind of data, then I can't have a sensible discussion or a debate. So I just feel that Today, social media has become both a boon and a bane, you know. Uh, it's, a, it's a boon because you hear so many different viewpoints. And sometimes I'm able to discuss and debate with people and somehow give them some data or evidence which they suddenly then agree with me on. But in most often, um, uh, more, more often than not, I think it's become like a vicious uh, ecosystem or a vicious space where you just can't make sense of anything. Uh, that is dangerous because, you know, you can immediately sort of veer uh, thinking or the thought process into a different direction which can become very dangerous. Very well said, Kiran. Final question. I mean, looking at your energy levels, <laughs> infectious of course, uh, and your passion, I know this is, I don't know, this is quite an antithesis question I have. Do you ever get fatigued or depressed, uh, both as an entrepreneur, as a person? If you do, <clears throat> how do you deal with fatigue? Or how do you deal with depression, if at all? Or how, what do you advise people who get fatigued after doing something over a long period of time? It's natural to get so to answer your question, I don't think I have felt fatigued and so far I have not felt depressed. But there are ups and downs. You know, I have my highs and lows. 
I mean, there are days when I feel very, very energized and there are days when I don't feel so energized. Okay, so I would say that's the difference in, or that's the way to answer your question about my energy levels. I guess that's the way to really be honest about answering your question. Um, I feel very energized and inspired when I see certain things happening. For instance, uh, last Saturday I was judging a life tech innovations, you know, uh, forum where we were awarding. Um, prizes to the best startups, okay? And I was very energized because I saw the kind of startups that are coming up in the life tech area. And I said, wow, this is really, really energizing and inspiring to see that, look at the kind of innovative thought processes in our own country. You know, there were wonderful companies with great ideas and a lot of proof of concepts and I thought, wow, this is really, really inspiring. So that really energized me a lot. Um, you know, there could be days where things can go wrong and you feel low energy. But I think, you know, I think every day comes with its energy points. And uh, there are days when I feel very energized. There are days when I don't feel so energized. But I think life is all about that. <laughs> well said. Final, final question. <clears throat> If anyone wants to become an entrepreneur and listening to this podcast, what would you say one reason for them to become an entrepreneur and maybe one reason for why they should not try entrepreneurship? Like, is there kind of a like way to define? Yeah, so the first thing is every entrepreneur must be very, very passionate about what they're doing. You know, you have to be interested in what you're trying to pursue. Yesterday I went for uh, the inauguration of the Padukone uh, Dravid Center of Sports Excellence. And the young entrepreneur, Vivek Rao, who started this enterprise, is so passionate about sports that I'm sure he will go a long way. You know, you've got to believe, you've got to enjoy what you're doing. If you're just doing it for the sake of starting a company, or if you're starting a company just for the sake of exiting that company, I'm not so sure that you're a true entrepreneur. I think a true entrepreneur has to enjoy and be very passionate about why they're starting that journey. And more importantly, you've got to endure that journey for some distance, you know, and you've got to enjoy that distance. And it's going to be full of challenges. So you've got to have that spirit of challenge and really that deep sense of purpose as to why you are starting that business. So I really would tell every entrepreneur Whatever that idea, you know, you must really have some compelling self-interest to pursue that idea. So, you know, the, the young entrepreneurs I saw in that startup competition, every one of them was so passionate about that idea that I really, really got inspired, you know. Thank you, Kiran. I mean, it's really exciting talking to you and Godspeed with everything you do. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Yeah, take care.